0: Thank you. Uh, before I uh, get started in the sermon, I just want to do a, a quick introduction. Uh, we have a wonderful new pianist joining us today, Brenda Padden. Yep. Brenda, you arrived in, on Wednesday or Thursday? What day did you arrive in Sunday. Sunday, on Sunday yeah. last week? So she is brand new and just got started literally day one with us, so thank you, it's wonderful to have you. Thank you, it's wonderful to be here. Yeah, we're blessed. She has the uh, toughest task of all coming up. You'll (laughs) So we all of us, I think, hunger for something, or at least from time to time we do. Maybe you, you're in the midst of that right now. For, for many in, in our world, uh, it, it, is, it is the need for, for sustenance for our bodies, the physical hunger, the, the need for food. Um, we, we realize that the, the poverty and starvation globally is, is rampant. It, it always has been. We try to address it in so many different ways. It's a powerful thing. Others of us, it's that idea of too much or the wrong stuff we put in our bodies. Right? Those are both ways of thinking about hunger. There's emotional hunger and need. Uh, that that sense of longing or hurt or or desolation. Maybe it's relational. Maybe it's something that's happened to you, a trauma, whatever it might be. That's a way of thinking about you know we're hungering for for restoration from that, for healing from that kind of trauma or pain. And then there's that spiritual hunger as well. I think about that and I differentiate it from, you know, the emotional or mental illness issues. Um, I think they can, they can be very closely tied together, but it's that inner desire to, to know something deeper, to, to understand something that goes beyond who we are. Or perhaps it's a, a search for meaning, or, or purpose, or reason for being. Those are all really fundamental questions that we have sometimes. So we can be hungry for, for a lot of different things. Jesus understood this, and it was no different in his time. There was hardship among the poor and the outcasts, those that were mar- marginalized, and there was abuse by those who were in power, who had a lot of wealth and power. And he understood and saw both of those things happening in close quarters. This is an interesting text, and, and many of you know it. If you've, if you've been in church for a long time, you've probably heard this one preached on many times, lots of different takes on it. And, and we, we know that, that it's, it's, one of, it, it's the one that's in all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, written a little differently in each one. We know there's a big crowd there. I wouldn't get too hung up about the size of the crowd. We hear in this text, for instance, that 5,000 were counted. Those were the men. You know, where, where are the women and children in that? How do we, how do we understand this? Was their purpose in only counting the men? So big crowds, undoubtedly, don't get caught up in the numbers at this point. Rather, I think it's best for us to ask questions. Go back and read this text again at some point. Who was there? Who, who, who was there? What, what do we know about the people that were there? Who were missing from the crowd? And then what did the people there expect or hope would happen? And what did Jesus and his disciples intend? This seems pretty short notice. There he is trying to get away from it all, and all of a sudden there's this, there's this crowd. There are these people in need, and they're hungry. And what's interesting to me is, uh, is there's that one line in the text where you know, it talks about it being a lonely place. Now, as lonely, does that just mean desolate, like there's nothing around, no resources? I don't know. It could be. But it also could be lonely in the sense that Jesus was understanding that these, these people were hungering for something. They were longing for something that would fill them in whatever way they needed. And it's interesting that Jesus himself doesn't feed them. He blesses those, those, those uh, meager offerings of food, and he hands them off to the disciples who then go out and with the size of that crowd, probably recruit some other people to help distribute. And and the power of this is that, you know, the, and the crescendo of it is that once everybody has eaten, they're, they're no longer hungry, they're filled, right? Now. You can believe, if you like, that that miracle actually happened, that those few resources filled everybody up. Or you can say, no, that's just something that's added into the story. The fact of the matter is it really doesn't matter. I think what matters is there is this understanding that whatever happened, miracle or not, the people were filled. They, they felt a, a change in, in who they are and their relationship to God through Jesus Christ, right there in that very moment. People weren't hungering for whatever it is they hungered for. And I think that's the power of this text for me, and it's probably why it's in all the Gospels. It's one that the, the Gospel writers want us to hear. It survived generations to come to us in four different formats. They got what they needed. From God, they got what they were hungering for. They got what would satiate them in that very moment. Such a powerful moment in their lives. In my Trumpet article this week, I just gave a a short uh, uh, understanding of uh, somebody I respect a a great deal, Jose Andres, Chef Jose Andres. he, He founded something called World Central Kitchen. Uh, right now, they're feeding people in Ukraine by the thousands and have been since the beginning. And uh, part of his purpose statement on his website, this is a verbatim quote from, from his purpose statement, when people are hungry, send in cooks. Not tomorrow, today. And that's, that's Andres's way of being. He has a, a sense of urgency about him. This needs to happen now. But he also has this kind of calm uh, demeanor, non-anxious, that said, this is how we're going to do it. This is what we do. And it happens. The food and the resources come. He has done this around the world, offering millions of meals with countless cooks and assistants and volunteers to help them, people going into war zones, areas where there's mass starvation. It's a powerful idea. Send in the people, not today, not tomorrow. It's kind of what Jesus was doing in my mind. He was offering the gift of this food to people who were starving for something, and they were filled. I don't think it's out of line to to really compare the two scenarios. I'm not comparing Chef Andres to Jesus, no doubt about that. But this moment became very sacred. We we, we see that at the end of the text. It's a sacred moment. It's a special place in time. It's not chronos time. It's not, you know, clock time. It's a kairos moment, it's a a sacred moment in the life of the people, their faith, and and from this meal, they get hope. That's powerful. So this sacrament, the the cup and the bread that we're gonna share in a bit, whether you're at home taking it, or here in person, matters not. We become the body of Christ. And we understand that in the moment of sharing a sacrament, a sacrament uh, is, 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 a, is a part of the Christian liturgy that becomes especially poignant and powerful, not necessarily more or less important. I don't like using those words, but a, a, a moment when we make this, this walk, if you will, down the aisles to receive this humble meal, to seek to get closer to God. And so in that moment, I invite you to do these kinds of things. Understand these shared commitments, that that as the body of Christ, I I don't take everything in the Bible literally, but when it talks about us being the body of Christ, we're it, We're, we're the arms, the legs, the eyes, and the ears. It is what we do that reflects the life of Jesus Christ in this world. And that's a big commitment to make. And this, this, is a, this is a way of understanding and living into and growing in that commitment. It's a way to remember that final meal that Jesus had with his friends where a lot of the same words we see recorded in the Bible are the words we use in this liturgy. It's a means of transformation. It's a means of seeking new insight in our lives. Will that happen right away? No, maybe not, but it could. And for me, it's especially important to understand the sacrament of Holy Communion as a means of justice and bringing equality and hope to all people because this is a table for everyone without reservation, we welcome everyone to come forward and receive. Wealth, power, position, none of those things matter. It levels us out. As a pastor, I'm no different than y'all, as laity, when we take the elements. And then finally, there's a mystery in the path, the journey. As I see the journey, whether you're on the front row or the back, you make a journey forward to receive, and there's mystery in that moment, and that path is your life. Think of it as broader. It's a walk to the table that I hope sparks your imagination, allows you to open your heart and see things anew. With each step you take, renewal, transformation, clarity, hope, love, inclusion, justice. Make your own list. These good things come to us in abundance because there is enough. Just like there was in this gospel text that we have today. There is enough. I read a a quote by uh, one of my favorite uh, spiritual guides, uh, Richard, Father Richard Rohr, who says, to be present to suffering and to touch suf- suffering with love, that it might dissolve in love, means to be grounded in the peace that is not dependent on the outcome of the effort, because regardless of how it turns out, God is unexplainably taking us to God, breath by breath, moment by moment. And that is a part of that powerful mystery that we experience as we walk forward here to receive this gift, this way of connecting more closely with God through Jesus Christ. So let's be blessed together as we share, and let's bless as we go from this place as the body of Christ. Amen.